0: Dr. Jason Lancaster.
1: I want you to think about how you make decisions. Specifically, how do you make decisions on serving the Lord? What's your approach on how you leverage your time, your money, your skills? How do you leverage your life and make decisions on serving the Lord? The great missionary Hudson Taylor lays out three approaches that I want to share with you briefly as he spoke to some missionaries about serving the Lord. Three ways to serve the Lord. Here's some options for you. Number one, make the best plans we can and hope they succeed. Number two, make our own plans and ask God to bless them. And number three, ask God for his plans and then do what he tells us to do. I vote for option three. And most of of you in here would intellectually agree that option three is the way to go, to ask God, what's your plan, and then do what he tells us to do. The issue becomes we do not vote for option three when we're up against specific challenges that seem insurmountable. We all of a sudden change our answer. Because we get pushed internally and we feel as if we have to figure out what we are going to do to make things work in our favor. And sometimes God gets pushed aside. That is what you see throughout the Bible. Abraham and Sarah thought it would be a good idea to include Hagar. Moses didn't think God was picking up the pace enough, so he killed the Egyptian. And then you can think of the Israelites wanting to be like other nations, so they demanded a king. There are so many ways that we can acknowledge that God must plan, but when we get crunched, we plan, and sometimes we turn into what I like to call practical atheists. Practical atheist. I believe in God, but I wonder if there's something going on in your life right now, something you are doing, something you are planning that makes you look like a practical atheist. You believe in the inerrant word of God. You trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You want to follow him, but some of your actions and some of your plans make you practically look like an atheist. Yet the first move that we should make should always be toward God and asking him, okay, God, what is your plan for me in this specific situation and scenario? And God, you just tell me what to do through your word, through your people, and no matter what you say, I will do it. And this morning, we're gonna look at a people who look to God and his plan and they fall through and actually executing it during one of the greatest battles in their lives and that is in Joshua 6. As you know the last few weeks we've been going through the book of Joshua after hundreds of years of the Israelites being enslaved in Egypt and after 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness they're about to finally conquer the land. They already passed the Jordan as it parted just like the Red Sea and last week we saw their obedience and circumcision as a recommitment to the Lord. Now it's time to battle. They are about to face treacherous nations that want to kill them. And we have to be reminded time and time again from the book of Joshua that the battle belongs to the Lord. And this morning what we're gonna find out is not only does the battle belong to the Lord, but the strategy belongs to the Lord. We're going to look at what is the Lord's strategy in order to take Jericho. So three things we're going to look at is God's strategy. The second thing is the execution of that strategy. And the third is the fulfillment of strategy. And I want to tell you something. Stay engaged because I guarantee you that God is going to speak to you specifically through his word. Stay engaged. So let's start with God's strategy. Joshua 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. Jericho's on high alert. They're barricaded in as Israel was outside their walls. They were a city under siege waiting for the attack of the Israelites. Maybe they're wondering, I wonder what the strategy is going to be. Maybe they're going to build siege ramps. Maybe they're going to scale our walls. Maybe they're going to try to starve us to death by closing us in. Well, here's the strategy. Verse 2, the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. You shall march around the city, all the men of war circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Step one in the strategy is to march around the city one time a day over a six-day period. And that may seem like a weird strategy. No human would think of that. More details follow in verse 4. Also seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. Notice all the sevens. Seven priests, seven trumpets. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times. Lots of sevens. Seven is the number of completion and perfection and you can think of the Lord resting on the seventh day after his creative work. But more important than the sevens is the presence of the ark. The ark of the covenant represented the Lord's presence, and it was the Lord who was going to go before them in the war. And now the last part of the strategies in verse 5. It shall be that when they make a long blast with a ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up, every man straight ahead. After they circled the city once for six days, and on the seventh day, they were to circle it seven times, and then the priests are to make this long blast with a ram's horn, and all the people are to shout with a great shout. And did you notice, it says, the wall of the city will fall down flat. It won't topple over, but it will fall down flat as if it's obvious that the Lord is crushing the wall so the people can enter and take the victory. Now this strategy was unexpected and not the norm, but it was nonetheless God's strategy for the people to follow by faith. Now obviously we're not gonna do this strategy. Perhaps some of you have come from charismatic churches and they circle the sanctuary seven times. We're not doing that. But there are things that we can follow. And there are strategies that we are called to employ from the Word of God. Let me give you a verse. Second Corinthians 10.4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Don't you love that verse? It's like it can be applied to Joshua. He did not come up with a strategy rooted in man but in the Lord, and the Lord's strategy was divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. So we think about the New Testament context We think about breaking through hard hearts and challenging and deceive people with the truth of Jesus Christ. In this context, Paul's strategy is not rooted in worldly wisdom or his own plans, but rooted in God's strategy to wage war. So here is God's strategy for you to wage war. I'm going to tell you based upon this verse and in the New Testament. Here it is. Here's the strategy. The word, prayer, faith, power of the holy spirit and obedience and I want to add one more to that list the church the church is here to give you wisdom and encouragement and part of God's strategy and this list is our weapons and when they get exchanged I'm telling you when this weapons these weapons God has given us when they get exchanged for strategies rooted in our feeble minds then we are going to have problems I guarantee you many years ago at a Wednesday night prayer meeting there was a woman who was there who was undergoing a lot of challenges in her marriage her husband was difficult and causing her all types of grief and problems but rather than battle In line with God's plan of the word, prayer, faith, obedient. Rather than surrounding herself with the church to encourage her and exhort her, she decided to take the matters into her own hands. She made this strategy in her mind that she made into action that she decided to file for a divorce. Not because she wanted a divorce, but because she wanted it to be a wake-up call to her husband to get his act together. But her husband took her up on the offer, and she was devastated. She wanted to take her actions back, but it was too late. She was falling apart in front of us. And I'm telling you, there are times when our strategies and stuff that we think up, that we think that's going to make a big difference, can just turn into a mess. Just think about your own life right now some of the things that you're thinking about doing or some of the things that you've already done, were they from the Lord's strategy or more from your strategy? And some of the results that you're living in right now are pretty devastating. But moving forward in your life, we want to adopt the Lord's strategy and not what we can think of in our feeble minds. So we have the strategy, but what does it look like to execute the strategy? Let's move on to verses six through nine. And as we look at verses six through nine, I wanna encourage you with four details. Let's start with verse six. Now Joshua, a son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. Then he said to the people, Go forward and march around the city, and let the armed men go on before the ark of the Lord. And it was so that when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark while they continue to blow the trumpets. The ark, which represents the power and presence of God, is with them and goes before them in the battle. The focus here on the ark is all about the Lord, and it's all about what he's about to accomplish. And the presence of the ark indicates that the battle belongs to the Lord. So here is encouraging detail number one. The Lord goes with you and before you in whatever challenge you're facing. The Lord goes with you and before you in whatever challenge you're facing. Joshua's God, your God. Same God. And the same God that fought the battles then is the same God that fights the battles now. Do you believe that? that he is with you and he goes before you in whatever you're facing. Continue on, verse 10. But Joshua commanded the people saying, you shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you. Shout, then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord taken around the city, circling it once, then they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Here is encouraging detail number two. Shhh. Millions were marching totally quiet. They weren't to open their mouths until the time to shout. Now, I don't know how they kept quiet. My family can't even drive to McDonald's and be quiet. We're talking millions of people here. And I think the idea is that as they're walking around, those inside the walls are probably mocking them and making fun of them. Like, what are you guys doing? But the Israelites were to remain silent. Now, I don't know about you, but when I face a lot of challenges, sometimes I make a lot of noise. Anybody else in here? Anybody, when you're facing a challenge, you just want everybody to know you're getting all dramatic, right? You just want people to know that you're dealing with stuff. James Boyce says, we like to air our grievances, to talk over our ailments, to compare ourselves with others, and to discuss the likeliest remedies. But sometimes, you just need to be quiet and let the Lord take over. You can't be still and know that He is God if you're yapping about all your problems all the time. Sometimes you just gotta be quiet and take it to the Lord and realize, okay, he is God, I am not. He's got this, I don't. And rather than complaining about it, you need to be quiet. Another detail that I want you to notice comes at the end of verse 14. Look at the end of verse 14, just the very last few words. They did so for six days. Day one, get up, march in silence. Day two, get up, march in silence. Day three, get up, march in silence. Day four, get up, march in silence. Day five, get up, march in silence. Day six, get up march in silence they obeyed each day without visible results they got up and they obeyed for that day until the next and so here's encouraging detail number three obey for the day You don't have to plan for tomorrow, next year, and how everything's going to get all worked out. You are called to obey for the day. You may not see visible results, but you can obey for today. You may say, yeah, but I can't do this the rest of my life. Oh, you don't have to, but you do today. And if you're worrying about how you're going to deal with this stuff the rest of your life, you're going to be a mess today because you're not supposed to be worrying about tomorrow. Today's got a lot, plenty of stuff for you to deal with. And you are to obey for the day. Results or no results, you're to show up and obey. And there's one more encouraging detail that comes from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30. I'll put this up for you. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. I'm going to read it again. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Encouraging detail number four. Circle by faith. It takes faith to stay in a holding pattern. Holding patterns drive me nuts. Nothing seems to be happening. There is no movement, and yet we are called to circle by faith. I wonder if some of those circling are saying, come on, let's let's get this invasion going. We got our weapons. We know what we're going to do. Let's go. And yet, what are they doing? Circling by faith. And when you circle by faith, you're just showing up because you believe that God is doing something, whether you see it or not. He's doing something and he's going to do something. Maybe you'll see it in this life. Maybe you'll see it in the next. But God is doing something, so you're circling by faith. Well, you wonder, did this strategy work? You know the end of the story. So the fulfillment of this strategy is in verses 20 and 21. We're going to skip over a lot because we'll pick it up again in chapter 7. Verses 20 and 21 So the people shouted and priests blew the trumpets. When the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. They utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. And if that disturbs you theologically, you need to understand that God had given Those inside Jericho, generations to repent of their evil. And he even gave them seven more days to repent at the end. But they refused and God's wrath fell. The Israelites responded in faith and God's strategy worked and they took the city. (laughs) And as you're sitting there this morning, I think that's where you want to be, right? You want to be on the other side of the victory. <laughs> you wanna know how it's gonna turn out. You wanna be right there with the Israelites. Yes, it looks challenging, I'm pushing through, I'm circling by faith, but you wanna be on the other side of the victory, right? Most of us are like, let's get on the other side. But I wanna tell you, for those of you who have faith in Jesus Christ, that no matter what you're facing right now, you are living in Christ in complete victory. Because in Christ, you have already in Christ seen him conquer sin, Satan, and death. And through his perfect life, substitutionary death, burial, resurrection, the reality is when you put your faith in Jesus, God's wrath is turned away, your sins are forgiven, and you're gonna live forever. You are living in victory. But I'm not trying to, push aside the stuff you're dealing with. I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to say, hey, you're living in victory, so why don't you just kind of push that other stuff aside. Now, you are living in victory in Christ because you're living in victory in Christ. Now you can start to deal with that stuff. If you are a believer in Jesus, you will face challenges, but in Christ, now you can start to deal with those challenges, and you don't have to ignore them. You don't have to come up with your crazy plans. You can say, okay, if God has saved me in Christ, then He surely has a plan to get me through this. I just finished watching a, a mini docudrama called Chernobyl. I don't know if any of you are watching that or have watched that. It's about the nuclear power plant disaster back in the Soviet Union in 1986. It was the most disastrous nuclear accident ever. And the night the plant exploded, it was obvious that death and destruction were coming, but those in charge refused to deal with its devastation, but they built a strategy to cover it up. A Soviet leader says this, no one leaves. We cut the phone lines, contain the spread of misinformation. That is how we keep the people from undermining the fruits of their own labor. And because they failed to face the challenge and respond appropriately, it was disastrous. Tons of people died. and maybe in your own life there are a variety of mini Chernobyl's and you can come up with your own plans on how you're gonna work through them and maybe your plans are like let's cut the phone lines let's keep this to ourselves let's not really face it or deal with it and yet because we have victory in Christ, we can throw out that philosophy that says, cut the phone lines. Let's just ignore this. And now, because in Christ, you can start to deal with stuff. I've talked to some of you, and you're telling me about some, some mini Chernobyls you're having financially. You're not sure the money's gonna last you. And perhaps you are trying to manipulate some things in your own mind, whether it's taxes or tithing, and you're trying to think of there's some ways that you can get out of this by worldly thinking. When the reality is there has to be some wise budgeting in your life, some wise trusting the Lord to moving through with his plan. And even more so in conversations, I know that there are relationship Chernobyl's going on in here. Most of the problems you're having in your your life right now has to do with someone else. Whether it's tension in your marriage, whether it is wayward children, or even someone you're trying to reach with the gospel and things just aren't working out. And what you want to do, you just want to cut them off. Cut that child off. Bye. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. Cut that neighbor off. And yet, it may be That you need to just circle by faith, circle by faith, show up and obey for the day, and leave the results up to God. I mean, you really have two options here. You can go with your strategy and your plan, or you can go with God's. You can decide. And when you go with your strategy, just let me know how that's going, because I've done that plenty of times doesn't go so well. I want to share with you one last idea and quote from author David Jackman. He says, We are not to waste time or energy speculating or trying to imagine how God might achieve what seems to us to be frankly impossible. You're wondering, oh, how's this going to turn out? He goes on to say, Our problem is that So often we substitute our plans for God's priorities and we foolishly convince ourselves that our ingenuity can be a replacement for our obedience. Now, I don't know about you, but I often substitute my plans for God's priorities. It's like I can trick myself on a daily basis where I think I'm following God's plan, but I'm just asking Him to bless mine. And that's why I think we need a daily heart check. It's like somehow we can be so convinced here in church on Sunday morning that no matter what, you're going to go with God's plan. But when you wake up tomorrow, your plan sounds a whole lot better. That's why we have to have this daily heart check that we are aligning our hearts with God's heart. There is a woman who is a doctor and a surgeon in a competitive field. And she started following Jesus later in her life. And she started a daily ritual. When her patients went to surgery, she had them sign a release, basically saying they trusted her as a doctor and accepted the outcome of the surgery that was about to be performed. And after she became a Christian, she got an idea. She created this huge stack of releases and put them next to her bed. And when she would wake up in the morning, these are release forms to God. She would sign one. God, take my whole day. Whatever you want to do, I'll do whatever you say. It may not align with my plan, but it's your plan. Next day, release form. God, whatever the results, it's up to you. And I think that's where we need to be on a daily basis where we wake up and say, God, we commit this day, commit our plans, commit our trials, commit our problems, and today we're going to show up and obey. Today we're going to circle by faith, and today is the day that you're going to go before us and fight the battles, and we're going to trust in you.
0: We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way guided by God's Word.